Welcome to Anagamasi. I am Fred Wellman, your host. We are coming to you back in the studio this week from the beating heart of America in St. Louis, Missouri, where it's pouring down rain. State of the Union dress was last night, and uh, every bit as insane as we all expected to be, with the bark of the house throwing her feces all over the place as usual. <laughs> we will be talking about that a whole lot more with an amazing guest. I've been trying to get out for a while, and he, he found time for us. I'm thrilled to have him. So you know what? Let's just get out with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As I mentioned, I am Fred Wellman, your host. This is On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. Uh, glad to have you here. Thanks so much. This week's show comes with an extra serving of sauce on the side, so get that on the counter as you head out. Don't forget to pick us up on all your favorite podcast platforms. Just subscribe on YouTube. Matt is getting very Fred. Look, Matt's getting mad, y'all. We're like 25 people away from 1,000. <laughs> and Matt seems like a nice person, but he, he tortures me and I'm off screen here. <laughs> we got to get to 1,000. So anyway, subscribe where you can. The Speaker of the House, uh, you know, we, well, we had a lot going on there. The State of the Union was one for the ages. Biden delivering, honestly, one of his finest speeches I've seen him give. I'm not going to lie to you. And I'm not, I'm not one of those guys who gives out glowing reviews, but I thought it was a great speech. You know, you kind of really showed what it looks like when you've been in the Congress and the Senate for 50 years. You know some stuff, right? And it showed. Of course, Speaker of the House. Margie Taylor Green uh, wore her best Corella Deville outfit <laughs> to badger the president of the guy she uh, <laughs> the guy she let sit in her chair. Kevin McCarthy promised there wouldn't be any outburst. I actually bookmarked that tweet, and uh, of course he came out false. It only took about two hours for him to be proven wrong. He's reduced to uh, shushing people from the podium, and it didn't work. So uh, you know, I have the privilege to meet our guest and our shared work taking on Donald Trump. I've been eager to have him on the show. Honestly, can't believe he joined me, and I'm glad he just doesn't know that I had this just the show for. The only reason is to talk to guys like him, and you know, that's it. So luckily, he fell for my trip. Uh, honestly, if you're listening to a political podcast and don't know who Bill Crystal is, I don't know what to tell you at this point. He's, of course, a freaking commentator on several networks, including CNN and many more. Founder and editor-at-large of the legendary conservative political magazine, uh, The Weekly Standard. He's now editor-at-large of one of my favorite places, the growing online publication network, The Bulwark. In addition, he is founder and director of Defending Democracy Together, Responsible for such efforts that I'm a fan of is Republicans for the rule of law, Republican voters against Trump, Republicans against Putin, all the things I'm against. Uh, I could read your whole Wikipedia page, Bill, but what's the point of that? We already know who you are. So, Bill Crystal, welcome to On Democracy. I'm glad to have you, brother. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for that very nice introduction. It's probably good you did not read the whole Wikipedia page. We would, yeah. have lost. Yeah. We would never get to 1,000. No, no. You'd get to negative 1,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm a professional podcaster. I read the blogs and stuff. They said don't do that. So, you know, <laughs> this is a professionally run show. I got a studio and everything. So, uh, you know, Bill, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you got 10,000 things going on. I've never, honestly, it's a hard to write a bio for you. It's like, well, what, what is he actually doing? All these things. So, uh, anyway, Anyway, uh, you know, I think I told you when we started, I, I start every episode off, you know, I ask guests, you know, how did they get here? Now, a lot of people know your story. Obviously, you're pretty famous. You've been around for a couple of days. But I do. I am curious, you know, when is it? You know, I talk a lot about the moment I knew, you know, the moment I knew was I like people that weren't captured. That was the moment I knew and not just Trumpism, but the, the party when, when the next week, when so many in the party and so many of my fellow veterans, as a matter of fact, still supported this gentleman. I knew that I had lost my place in that world, right? That it wasn't, it was going in a direction. Do you ever think about what was that moment when, you know, you saw Trump or whatever that you kind of said, wait a minute, the things I've been supporting for so long may not fit anymore. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I remember that moment well, and I, I don't know that there's any one moment exactly, but that was a, that would be a pretty good candidate. Uh, he said that in Iowa. Yep. Uh, about John McCain. Yep. Uh, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. It was Saturday morning, I think. 
uh, my colleague Steve Hayes, uh, then colleague at the Weekly Standard, was there actually and sort of was involved in the back and forth with Trump on that. So I remember talking right. to Steve that day and and it you know got put up immediately online, obviously. And uh, and then I was on this week, the next the next morning with George Stephanopoulos. Uh, and I think maybe there was a guest host that day, but it was in I remember it was in DC doing the show. And um they came to me and I said, Well, Trump's finished. I mean, you can't insult uh someone who fought for his country. I think I saw you. I think I saw you. Heroic yeah. POW. Uh, I mean, people may not love John McCain because of certain positions he's taken, but uh, you can't say that. And, uh, and of course, I was totally wrong. Yeah. And as I realized how wrong I was, I realized uh, Trump is is was onto something, unfortunately, in a way. And I was not onto something in terms of where the party was willing to go. Yep, that really struck me too. And, and I was a veterans advocate at the time. I've been a veterans advocate for ten years professionally. I had my own firm at the time. And I fully expected my peers, even Republican peers in the, in the veterans community, that just there's just lines. You know, you get it. There's lines you don't cross. And attacking our our, our POWs, our MIA, you know, you know, of course they're heroes. Uh, and he blew right through that and kept going. And and they didn't run away. And I thought, wow. I mean, for me, it was a, even a bigger because I wasn't a politics guy then, Bill. I was a you know advocacy guy. And uh, even then I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> you, know? you know, I was like, wow. I mean, my peers who should be appalled aren't. And I, I talked the story, people probably who watch the show often know I, you know, just, it was just what, um, a few weeks later, a few months later that the Rolling Thunder ride in DC on, on Memorial Day, they stop at the, the end of the Lincoln Memorial and they actually gave Trump a podium and let him speak. And the whole rally is supporting POWs and MIAs. And this guy who only a few months earlier said they weren't heroes got the speaking gig. And I was like, oh, shoot, man. I, <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I don't fit in anymore. So, yeah, that was it for me. Now, you know, we um, were talking, we're filming today, the day after the State of the Union speech. Uh, I got to worry. I don't even know where to start with that. But, you know, actually, I had somewhat low expectations, to be honest with you. It's, I didn't, not so much for Biden, but after having seen so many of these and, and of course, the idiocy of last year, I kind of expected it to be a bit of a snooze fest. I mean, for some reason, I thought they'd behave. And two, um, I thought it'd just be your standard speech, but it, it really didn't come out that way. And, when, you know, as you think about it now, you've had about, you know, you know 20 hours, as opposed to think about it. What struck you the most as you look at last night's events? You know, I don't know. I had a high discount value, too, for state, state of the Union addresses. I got to Washington in 85 and uh, was in the education department for the first two years working yeah. with Bill Bennett, uh, became chief of staff there. And I remember how hard we tried to get one sentence into the right. State of the Union about our department or about our initiatives or something that we thought would, you know, it was, it was, and then when I was worked for Vice President Crail, when I was his chief of staff, I was obviously more in the White House, a little more central to the process. And I remember people calling me up who I knew at that point in all the different agencies, can we get in a paragraph on this? And so it always became a kind of checklist, uh, right. uh, as you say, a snooze fest. Very few of them have had great historic significance. A few, I mean, Bush's access to people in 2002 and a few yeah. others. Um, I'm not sure this one really had historic significance. That is, I'm not sure that people remember a lot of what Biden said, but I think to the degree that there were questions about uh, how he would do versus the new Republican House, uh, did he have an ability to kind of carry out, carry out his, carry forth his message at least, at least in this one night, uh, he certainly answered those questions. I thought he did well. I, I, I'm a little under. I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. Uh, he showed vigor and energy. 
He has an interesting kind of populist economic message. We'll yes. see how far he can take that. And, and that's going to be risky. But parts of it can backfire, too. They all sound good in, in the abstract. You know, people shouldn't be sure. Why, why are they charging us these resort fees at hotels? Everyone's been annoyed by that. You and I <laughs> probably stayed, checked into places that are not, as he said, resorts. And suddenly there's an extra twenty six ninety five on the bill for what? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, and you can't choose not to have it. I'm not using the, the, the you know, the, the, the gym here or something. But um, but having said all that, is it really a, that big a deal? And, and what's the how is he going to do it in practice? And are the hotel change just going to put it on your regular bill? I mean, there's a lot of like practical questions about some of these initiatives. I would say, does it add up to a coherent uh, agenda? But no, I think he he did well. But I, I don't think it was historically significant in that he yeah. didn't really articulate a big agenda. It was it was an attractive agenda of medium sized items. I would say mostly attractive. Yeah, um, which gets him through the next two years. I think. Yeah. Funny thing is, I thought, and I'll just, I'll, I'll stop going on, but, uh, you know, I've been someone who's been dubious he should run for a second term. Yeah. And I got to say, this was an agenda for the next two years. It wasn't an agenda for the next six years, I didn't think, though, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I, 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 you're right. It was sort of a hodgepodge. It wasn't, I mean, there was a thematic of, you know, finish the job. That was it, right? Finish the job. But what does that really mean when you think right. about it? I mean, that's sort of, that, that implies you're sort of halfway through or two thirds of the way through. See, that's, right? that's and exactly. You do the, which is fair enough. He's did a lot in the last year, and I'm right. not at all begrudging him that. And I think he would be a very successful president, incidentally, if he if he served for another two years. But it, I, I do think the finish the job was a, a little bit of a funny choice of a theme. It certainly gets him through anyway, but people won't remember it. It gets him through the next days and weeks and months and, and gives him a pretty good launch to this year. Again, well, whether we're talking about it three, six, nine months from now, and, and whether as opposed to talking about the economy as a whole or Ukraine or some issue we haven't even thought about yet. You yeah. know, I would have it's funny, I'll tell you when uh, you and I were talking before we got on the air about foreign policy, which we're both interested in, and, and obviously Ukraine and other things. And and uh, I went back because so I was thinking of writing something and I looked at the Biden gave his first it wasn't officially a state of the union but when he became president. He gave right. a speech, and I think it was uh, April of tw- 2021. That was his first big speech to Congress. It's not officially a state of the union when you take over, but it's too late. And Ukraine is not mentioned in that speech. Mm. And Russia is mentioned three times, twice, uh, once in the context that we want to work with everyone, including Russia, on climate change, and twice in the context of uh, Putin shouldn't stop, should stop messing in our elections. Right. Then the next day, the, the first official State of the Union was March 1st of 2022. That was a week after the invasion. Yeah. And remember, he led with Russia and Ukraine, yeah. very powerful and very well done. Uh, you know, 10, 12 minutes of the speech, I guess. Yep. Uh, uh, really a strong statement of our determination to back Ukraine and, and stand and not let Putin get away with this, what, what the implications of that would be. Uh, so that was sort of memorable. This one, foreign policy receded a lot. It was mostly right. domestic policy and economic policy, which is fine. Um, but it was striking to me that pretty big war going on in Ukraine and pretty important for the future of the world. Uh, I guess he just chose, he's talked about it elsewhere, he'll talk about it again. He just chose to emphasize domestic and economic policy in, in this speech, which is fine. I still think he sort of needs to remind the American people how much is at stake in Ukraine now. I agree. Now, before I get away from it, <clears throat> Do you think perhaps a lot of this decision making that went into this was the tactical aspects of it? In other words, knowing that the really the, the, what has become the House caucus of just nutters, let's be honest, um, 
the way they behaved last year, it felt like a lot of the speech was designed in many ways sort of goad them and even lead them into ambushes a little bit. Do you think there was more of a tactical aspect of what he was doing there? I mean, it felt like there were some that it it didn't seem like a mistake to me or that he was ad-libbing. He was prepared. He set up sort of the L-shaped ambush, at least to call it military, right? (laughs) And let them walk into it. Of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene can't resist, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is just, (laughs) you know, she can't resist bait, you know, she's just uh, all id and no thinking. Um, Perhaps, do you think that was part of it, that there was more of a tactical aspect of this one? He wasn't looking for history as much as, yeah, I think he I think he set that up nicely, and as you, as you suggest, and I, I think he ends up in a position where he's the guy who's in favor of unity, as he said a few times, right. and working together. And he was gracious with Kevin McCarthy at the beginning, and the kind of little joke, I look forward to working with you, hope that doesn't hurt you with your, your supporters. But then he also gave a pretty partisan speech at times, pretty tough speech. Very much. Provoked, provoked the House Republicans on purpose, and then was able to kind of say okay fine you're finally for social security and medicare good let's i'll take that for granted so i thought from a sort of tactical political point of view it was pretty effective yeah yeah i thought that's kind of I, that, I, almost immediately and i'm i'm one of those guys has to think about stuff like it's three years and <laughs> but even if i woke up today i was like yeah i can see it and there's some great actually the bulwark had some wonderful several of your colleagues at the bulwark wrote some great pieces today that were a wonderful analysis of that you know that there was a tactical element to them he did a masterful job of leading them where he wanted to go tactically uh and 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 again the dance of who's in charge here right the dance of you know the way he honored mccart the way he honored um McConnell at the start of it, right? And 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 there was a great analysis by one of your colleagues about how he's making it clear he's going to try for that that unusual move of a bipartisan growing his coalition, right? And getting independents Republicans. Whereas Republicans have made a very conscious decision just to grow their base, right? And and energize their base. Um and and you did mention you had a great thread today, I thought, and I on Twitter talking about the foreign policy pieces of that. You know, I we focus a lot on the show about our democracy, but I do believe we're facing a sort of a global autocratic movement, right? It's clearly clear that the forces that seek to unbanner our democracy here are tied to those abroad from Putin's malign influence, but you know, CPAC's a love affair with Orban, right? <laughs> there, there, there's a, there's a global dem- democratic movement we face. Um, you know, you had some really good points. I mean, should, what should Biden be worrying about with uh, foreign affairs? You, you, you highlight some really cool examples, Iran, you know, Ukraine, you know, what, what's on the menu for us as this, this, this global democratic movement and what should Biden be focusing on there? Yeah, I didn't mention Iran, which I thought was unfortunate. He could have yeah, had sense of tribute to the very brave demonstrators there. Um, these are on my mind because I was in Germany myself about three weeks ago with a colleague and meeting with uh, some you know, people there from uh, government from think tanks talking about uh, urging them to do a little more to help Ukraine, reassuring them as much as I could that uh, the U.S. would be there and, and even though some people like Marjorie Taylor Greene want to pull the plug, they wouldn't be able to over the next two years. It's funny when you're in Europe, you see how much damage some of this stuff does abroad. Yeah. You know, you and I know how it works. The president's the president. The Democrats still control the Senate. There are enough Republicans in the House, I'm quite certain, for now. And I think for the foreseeable future, just support the funding. Uh, presidents are in powerful positions. In any case, the House can't just unilaterally stop funding, you know. Yep. Uh, so uh, try to, but very, very hard. So, but, you know, if you're abroad, you don't follow all these details and you just hear Marjorie Taylor Greene and then you see someone report that McCarthy says he's very close to Marjorie Taylor Greene and suddenly you think, well, why should we go out on a limb for Ukraine if the U.S. is going to walk away? Why should we go out on a limb and be tougher with the Iranian regime uh, if the U.S. isn't doing much about it? And I think on the whole, I say this as someone who supports, I think I've been very pleased by Biden's foreign policy since Afghanistan. So for the last year, I think he's really come through in in a very important way. As you say, it's both beating back the autocrats and in the case of Putin, really brutal aggression, 
uh, against the neighboring country. But also, it's a big moment, I feel like, you know, between Iran and, and Ukraine and even some of the reports of dissension in China. It could be a big moment of after after some regression, regression in a way for the last 10, 15 years, a sense that, you know what, democracy is good and liberal democracy is good. In a weird way, Trump has been a wake-up call for us, I think, at home, but also abroad. It's not an accident, right, that Trump is pro-Putin abroad and authoritarian at home. Right. You know, these things do go together exactly. in many ways. And he thinks she is great. And he thinks North Korea, that's a real, well, real well-run place. Yep. And so I feel like on the center-right and center-left, there's a real sense of, We've got to be for liberal democracy and the rule of law and freedom and decency at home, but also uh, it matters what we put up with and don't put up with, what we try to stop and don't try to stop abroad. And so I think it's a big opportunity as well as a big threat. And I, I think Biden on the whole, as I say, has done well with that. I, I kind of personally wish he had done a little more of that last night, but there are other venues in which he can he can make that case. And the most important thing, obviously, is the policies more than, you know, a few sentences and speeches. Yeah, I agree. And and and, you, and you, it does harken back to what you said at the beginning of having been in the administration trying to get your line in, right? It, it, there is, as it was, it was an hour and a half, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been on that How side. About the end? Did you watch at the end? Um, I didn't, but is, I was so tired, you know. But <laughs> we, I guess he stayed, I, mean, I saw him staying for hour and 15. I remember previous president's doing that, but I guess he stayed for like an hour and 20 minutes or yeah. something. Yeah, it took him an hour and 15, hour and 20 to get out of the building. And he was sort of mic'd, right? I couldn't Yeah, he was mic'd. here. Snippets, yeah. it seemed like. Yeah, there's a great thread. One of the reporters kind of stuck with him the whole time and was talking about all the different snugsy. Yeah, I saw and, some of that. I mean, it was kind of fascinating. Got like an old school Paul, right? Well, that's it. He's a, he's members he's, of Congress saying, "Hey, can you? Do, what about the water situation here?" And that was a Republican. And I a just Republican in California, right? You know, it's a Republican member from California. And the question in the old days. Biden being responsive to that might have led to that member voting for, I don't know, you know, against closing the, against not raising the debt ceiling, something totally right. irresponsible. These days, the party, the partisanship, the tribalization, the tribalism, the polarization is so great that this guy will have a cordial exchange with Biden. Biden will actually tell his secretary, I'm making this up, but I'm his secretary of agriculture, yeah. be, get on the phone with him and see what we can do more, yeah. what the administration can do more to make sure farmers in California have the water they need. Will they get any reward for that? I don't know. You know, it's so it's so different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, but it's nice to see, right? It's nice to see a retail politician. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes Biden's old schoolism kind of makes me crazy. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, because I'm a fighter. You know, I'm a Lincoln Project guy, right? It's like, let's let's fight. Let's let's cause, you know, let's throw some bombs. But one of the reasons that guys like you and I came over and voted for Biden, I think, um, was this, that, that, that old school, right? That when we did do things like actually have conversations with the other party and try to accomplish things for them. And, and you notice that was a big thing in the speech, right? Like, hey, I'm going to, sure. we're doing infrastructure in your district. You can show up. <laughs> no, <that's nice> <laughs> you know, you, you can vote against it, but then you'll still want to be there at the groundbreaking. Right. It was a great line and, 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 it, and it's true. And, and it does lead us to that. It, it leads us to what is that old school sort of thing and, and seeing him do that in the retail politics. And, and, and again, it goes that sort of another thing you know, I talked about in the, in the pre-show is, um, you know, what, what Huckabee Sanders came in and said, which was much more of a, you know, it's time for youth and we're going to fight the culture war. And then, you know, that, you know, a lot of people are in turn, that sort of a, a, a quiet endorsement of Ron DeSantis's approach. I can't imagine a scenario where Ron DeSantis would go down that aisle having those conversations. I think Christina Pushaw would like, you know, bundle them out the back door to avoid people. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so you get to, you know, you get, I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders rebuttal speech is just kind of a dog's breakfast, honestly, of right wing 
dark web fever dreams, it seemed like to me. It seems that so many in this new MAGA GOP are obsessed with these fantasies, but how long? And, and I wonder how long can they run this out? It feels like the Democrats are finally coalescing to fight back effectively, right? You know, where does the culture war party go, right? At what point does the GOP, this new MAGA GOP you know, obsession, I mean, when does it run out, Bill? I mean, where do they go from here? I mean, you know, I would have thought it had run out uh, on January 6th, honestly. <laughs> I would think. Thought yeah. would, there would be a real rethinking by the party and Trump would be finished and yeah. people would realize the price you pay for this kind of demagoguery. That's not quite the culture war stuff, though it is partly, but it's more the kind of anti-democratic stuff, but it overlaps. And said, well, of course, Trump bounced back more or less and, and his and Sarah Sanders is a good person to cite since she worked for Trump. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think we can't be too confident that the, that it's not still working well enough to give Republicans a chance to win in 24. They won the House this time. They underperformed a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's not as if they got clobbered in the elections. If they just avoided the craziest election denial stuff, the Republicans on the whole did, did okay. They didn't do great. So I'm worried that, you know, Democrats and people like us, frankly, who are just appalled by this and see how bad it is for the country. I mean, that's the thing I come back to always. You, you, I didn't watch Sarah Sanders' speech, but I yeah. skimmed the text. And yeah. it'd be, I think literally the first sentence or something is, well, yeah, I, everything Joe Biden said was a lie or something right. like that. What you said, what you've just seen is a bunch of lies. I mean, really? The president of the United States? You're a governor of one state talking about the president of the United States of the other party, admittedly. You don't begin by saying, I just want to say, first of all, that we're all Americans. I hope President Biden, you know, uh, right. succeeds in those things that, that he should succeed in, where he speaks for the country and other things we're going to oppose him as a loyal opposition. Nothing, none of that. No. I mean, it's really, I find it, it's so bad for me. It's not just that I, people sometimes say, well, you know, I'm like uh, old school or something, so I'm offended by this style. It's all just style questions, you know, and that's why people like you and me are against Trump and Trumpism. But it's bad for the country. I mean, it really is bad for the country. It leads citizens to uh, distrust each other and then to ultimately despise each other. makes it very hard to actually work together on the things that matter. It's leading the Republicans, some of them on Ukraine, for example, to abandon what a lot of them started off with a reasonable, okay, we of course were for Ukraine against Putin. And now a lot of them, because Biden is supplying, you know, arms and arms and money to Ukraine, they're gradually sliding. A few of them were just pro-Putin, but a lot of them are yeah. sliding towards being pro-Putin just because they're, they hate Biden more than they want to stand with Biden against Putin. That's really bad. You know, it's for the scary, country. right? I, I mean, we I mean, saw that with Sarah Sanders. Yeah, well, be essentially choosing our enemies. I think you saw that with the. Uh, I think we see that dynamic with the 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 whole thing. You see it a lot. You see it with Tom Cotton a lot, and I know I know you got family there. <laughs> you see it a lot with you know you see it with uh, the, the the balloon, you know, the Chinese balloon, right? Where they're almost rooting for the enemy in some ways, right. you know. And, sure. and, and and for us, I mean, I, I I'm a Reagan guy, right? I mean, I, I was I was a I'm, I'm 57, you know. I joined West. I went to West Point during the Reagan administration. I was you know I was one of those guys, right? And there was that as, as cheesy as it sounds, there was that that upward, that the belief that there could be better, that there was a certain, um, um, je ne sais quoi, right. Of our party at that time, right. The Republican party was the, the adults in the room. They were, they were, did believe in this society. We live in a society view, which is a kind of a meme now, but we definitely just don't see that. Now we see, we see barking monkeys, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and most you Democrats, know. you know, they opposed Reagan pretty strenuously. I can't watch any Bible, but you know, to work in the Reagan administration and we were pretty annoyed at the Democrats for around the time. But, at the end of the day, on the big things, there was a certain commonality or at least respectfulness in terms of the 
big issues and treatment of other people. Reagan and Bush embodied that. But to be fair, so did George Mitchell in the, right. in the Senate or Tip O'Neill in the House. Yeah. I think that went on. I mean, changed a little with Newt. It kind of gradually started to change in the 90s. But Newton and Clinton still worked together on a lot of things. And Bush, I think, worked, tried to work with the Democrats in, in, in Congress. It's hard to know exactly when it all went off the rails. It sort of got worse and worse, I think you could say, uh, more partisan and more partisan. But then with Trump, we went to, really went to a whole new level right. of bitterness, demagoguery, uh, personal assaults. I remember the first time Trump said, I think he was already president, thinking about how, what the Democrats are saying is treason. And I think treason? I never heard a major politician say that in either. I was too young for Joe McCarthy, you know. So in yeah. either party, I mean, it's and it was about something. Incidentally, there was just a normal policy disagreement, right? You know? It was just a disagreement, and, and it was so. Um, I remember being so shocked and thinking, well, Republicans aren't going to put up with that. But of course, just like with the John McCain thing, they they put up with everything, and that's really the tragedy. I mean, Trump by himself could have done some damage to the country, one-term president, but it would have been manageable if the whole party hadn't gone with him. And that's why your original point is a good one, Fred. I mean, it, it was the reaction to Trump saying what he said about McCain that was most telling, right. in a way more important than what Trump said about McCain. Right. Then the, the, fail, the failure to react, the failure to hold him accountable was a real tip-off. I even underestimated a little bit at first how, how, how much it would be a tip-off for everything that happened in the next um, four years, but sort of the next six years, unfortunately. And, going. And, yeah. and it's not clear it stopped happening either, you know? No, and it gets to me a lot when people ask me a lot, well, why didn't you stay with the Republican Party? Why'd you leave completely? Why'd you become a Democrat? Which I am, I'm a liberal. I've been a bleeding heart liberal all along, according to my ex-wife. But <laughs> having said that, um, there's no home in it, right? There, 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 there's so many people have given away the values that they supposedly stood for. I, I talk a lot about a guy in the show. I, I hope he doesn't listen, but Rob Whitman. Um, you know, I used to live in Virginia one, right? And Rob, um, I was a veterans advocate at the time. I was on the Veterans Council of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Rob was got into that seat because I think somebody left and he jumped in. And he was such a he's a lovely, wonderful retail politician. I tell a story of this is retail politics. You'll appreciate this. Uh, I remember rolling up. I was on his Veterans Council, but and I'd bumped him a number of times. He'd visited my ex wife's business, um, but I remember rolling up to the Chamber of Commerce Awards night one night. Bill, Rob rolls up and has beat up. Toyota, of course, you know, got to have that style. <laughs> he jumps off his beat of Toyota and he's putting his suit jacket on. He, he runs into me literally as I'm getting in my car. He goes, Fred Wellman. Oh, man. Oh, you know, it's just up at your alma mater. That new building there, the new dorms are building are amazing at West Point. And it just, you should be so proud of what they're doing. I'm like, I mean, literally that fast, Bill. I mean, he's just a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a terrific retail politician with a brain. And then, and I just, I had such expectations that when the Trump, came in and then within months he was doing the, he's one of the guys that tried to sneak into the skiff. Cause remember that, remember that episode? <laughs> it's almost, it's almost quaint now. Right. You know, and, and Rob's just gone over. And so as I watched so many people who I thought would hold the line, who would stick to their moral compass and not give into this gave in, it made me realize there just simply wasn't a home and there was no more fighting it that the too many had given in. And it's, it's tough to watch. Um, now on that, I mean, hopefully the party at some point will come back and it's be good to have two healthy parties, but I'm with you at this point. I have no real hopes in the short, medium term for yeah. the Republicans. I mean, look, if they behave better rather than worse. That's good for the country. I hope McConnell holds the, yeah. holds them on Ukraine. I hope some Mike Gallagher and some people hang tough on that. It's important for the country. Then I'm happy to help to the degree I can, yep. which is not much since they're not very fond to be as they are. Commuters, <laughs> but, uh, not anymore. But, but, um, <laughs> but the Democrats, on the other hand, whom everyone was warning, oh, my God, they got so far left. They're crazy. I've got to say, I mean, there are problems out there in the culture with the left, I would say, at universities sure. and so forth. Yeah. But the actual Biden administration, the actual Democrats in Congress 
are mostly pretty reasonable. I don't agree with everything, but I mean, so the the two parties are not comparable. Well, I think think J.D. Last said it really well. I think it was J.D. Last today in his piece about Huckabee Sanders' speech. He said what she was attacking was some libs on Twitter. It wasn't yeah, actually right. Joe Biden, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like yeah, all Biden's the things she was not full of woke right. orthodoxy or governing or, or governing about woke causes. It was a pretty right. standard. You might be from you and me a little bit too big government liberal, whatever, you know, yeah. throwing money at everything, but it was standard democratic new deal kind of great society, democratic party. And as I said, foreign policy in particular, he's been pretty good. More of the kind of human yeah. free Democrats. Oh, that's, that's, the, that's the, actually the complaint on the left, right? <laughs> the complaint yeah. on the left is that he, he's still foreign policy is quite centrist. And, so you and, went to West Point. You graduated from West Point when? Uh, 1987. So you were a year after Mike, Mike Pompeo? Yes, sir, I was. <laughs> did you know him and, and, I did and, not. I did not, thankfully. Uh, you know, I knew of him because he was the you know, number one in his class. I think I don't, Isn't know, it, yeah. I don't think he was first captain, but I am I have great disdain for him, right? I mean, I, I literally have a, you'll laugh in my, in my script. But so those are the, the behind the scenes here of the show. I have my script on my computer here. It literally says, question number eight, Mike Pompeo. What the fuck's that all about? <laughs> you, know, you, know, that's, you know, that's literally the question, Bill. I mean, I mean, where do you fall? I mean, he, he, I've just never seen somebody so full of himself with so little to show for it, but perhaps I'm, uh, I'm just abused. You know, again, I, I do hold him in a special ill regard because of the West Point thing, the way he rides, the fact that he was number one in his class and, and all that. And those of us who went there and know that being number one in your class isn't all that that you think it is, right? It it's, it's, gets good grades, but there's more to it. And sometimes it's not actually a compliment if you're number one in your class, which I'll leave to others to argue. <laughs> but what's your, you know, what's your take? I mean, he thinks he might be president. I mean, uh, and, you know, DeSantis thinks he might be president. But Mike Pompeo, wait, what's your take on Mike Pompeo? You're a foreign policy guy. What's, what's your thought? I mean, I, so I got, to, he came to Washington, in, I yep. can't remember, 2012, maybe 2010. I think so, yeah, as a congressman from Kansas. As a congressman, and he was interested in foreign policy, and yeah. I was am too, and I got to know him, and I thought he was pretty, uh, he was hawkish as I am and was. Yep. Uh, so that was a little, you know, uh, overdoing it a tad, but I, but I thought pretty intelligent, pretty sensible. I admired the the West Point uh, sure. grad side of him too. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, of course, none of these things turns out to be a. You know, people can be genuine war heroes, some of them, yeah. uh, and and go bad when they get into politics. And other people can be, you know, not super distinguished, you might say, in their previous life and then really rise to the occasion of politics. So it's, it turns out to be, it's, I think the, the reasons people make the decisions they do, their character, it's all much more complicated than looking at some bio and saying, well, this this person went here or this person was first in his class there, and therefore he or she's going to be fine. I mean, it really is striking how... Uh, hard it is to predict these things some of the time. But for him, I think the ambition was always there. It was very great. And look, it served him well. Now we'll see if he could, how well he does in the presidential race, but he certainly rose high, CIA director and then secretary of state. You know, this is for me, was one of the big problems with our friends in Endeavor Trump world, and not a big problem, but a mistake, a misjudgment uh, by our friends in Endeavor Trump world, and, and mostly uh, about the liberals in particular. Um, they had such contempt, correctly, for Trump and Trumpism and all the people who went to work for Trump and uh, sucked up to Trump and, and got a point, you know, jobs better than they ever could have dreamed of getting. Sarah Sanders is a good example of this for Trump. And they all, therefore, took the next step and said, 
And that person's finished. Can you, I remember having this conversation so many times in 2016, 17. Sarah Sanders, I mean, she could have been a real, you know, a real mover and shaker in the kind of communications PR world. <laughs> and now she's just, she's defending Trump, making ridiculous charges, having to, once she even had to apologize, but she so obviously made something up. I can't remember what it was exactly from the White House podium. Uh, but, but Jim, of course, talking also, in, in so many ways, being really disgraceful, I would say. Yeah. And I remember saying, you know, the bad news is, it's you're right that it is a terrible reflection on their character that they've all chosen to go down this path. The bad news is it's not clear they're going to pay a price. No. Sarah Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, Tucker Carlson's making the most money of any person on cable TV. I'm sure it is the most influential Very. person I suppose on cable TV. A lot of other people are doing very well having gone down that path. Some of them went down that path for that reason. Some of them didn't have that much choice. They weren't in that important jobs. They were kind of a chance to make it in an administration where other people weren't going to go in. Uh, some of them just stumbled into it and realized, well, this is a real gravy trade. But the, the, the lack of accountability, you and I have discussed this in, in this other thing we were at uh, yeah. a couple of months ago together. <laughs> Funny thing I mean, that. it's really been striking for Trump personally, but for everyone else too. Yeah. Who has paid a price for being part of an attempt to overturn to subvert a U.S. election on January 6th. A bunch of people who stormed the Capitol. Yeah, true. And they did pay a price. Yep. But anyone who told them to do it, anyone who organized it, anyone who it voted to overturn the elections, not really, you know, not many people, certainly. And that's and and that's bad for the country. I mean, it, the lesson that younger people looking up take from that is, I don't know, it looks like that might be a reasonable thing to be, to be a kind of young, if I'm a young, if I'm George, we mock George Santos. Yep. He's a member of Congress, he's and he hasn't been disciplined yet. For all the talk about it, I'm not so. Are we confident he's not going to serve out no. his two years? I don't know. I I one I talk about that a lot. There was a great like Charlie Sykes wrote. I, I actually wrote Charlie's paragraph because it was great. He says, you know, he talked about the post shame MAGA movement and the distinctive attractions of virtually any sort of miscreant. Charlton or Snolly Goster can shelter beneath its wings. So Santos' choice of new friends is not an accident. I've written uh, for someone like Santos, the new rights moral universe as various media, media tributaries offer liberation and redemption where mediocrity and venality can share together under a pugnacious amorality. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice, I remember that. Yeah, it's, it's a very Charlie very Sykes. Well done, yeah, <laughs> it's a very Charlie Sykes paragraph. And, uh, but that's it, right? You just nailed it. It's exactly what you were just saying, that there is, there is this venality and this, this, this amorality does pay. It's just, there, I, I hate to say it, there's no way to, I'm begging for a thousand viewers, but I'm positive that if I was like bashing Biden every day, I'd have 10,000, <laughs> you know, and it, it, there's, there's money to be made um, in that world. And, and you're right, George Santos, it was interesting to see Mitt. Um, did you see the thing with Mitt going after Well, that him? was great. I mean, Mitt, Mitt's been good. That's Mitt. Very good. I mean, I wish he'd do a little more. He sort of does right. something great and then he kind of just goes back doing his job, which is okay. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. but, um, could be a little more Liz Cheney there, but, but no, but sort of his refusal to, dignified uh, Santos uh, as kind of a member of Congress almost. I thought it was a useful reminder that just because he's there and he hasn't been disciplined yet doesn't mean everyone has to go around slapping him on the back. Right. You don't have to insult him particularly. You can just ignore him or disdain him or have a word with him and uh, a stern word and, uh, and and move on, right? Yeah. Well, I was joking when Biden came in. It was, you know, right, left, right, Santos, left, 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 left. <laughs> then, right, he just skipped right over him. You know, um, uh, uh, it, it, it's the same thing about that, though, is, you know, you, today we had our first hearing 
of the web, I don't know, it was, I don't know what committee it was, the oversight, I think it was, uh, Jim Jordan, his antics and everybody else, Comer's committee. And, and it, it, and, and last night I was thinking this last, I actually woke up this morning thinking about it too, with what, what Biden did during the state of the union speech, where he kind of led them into their ambush. You know, the house, the, the GOP seems to think that they'll just be able to get away with, they're going to do these investigations and these press conferences, and they're going to, they're going to be able to do whatever they want. They're going to get the story. But what I am seeing, uh, what I love right now, especially under Hakeem Jeffries, it feels like there's been a change in the house especially they're going to fight back if you look at how they stack they stack that committee with incredible aocs on there and and, and raskins on there and um you know and, and they've got some real stars on that committee who are going to fight back you know one of the first things we learn in the military is and when you talk about strategy i think it goes all back to sun Tzu, is you know the enemy gets a vote Right. And, and, and in the past, it seems like under Ms. Pelosi, Ms. Pelosi, there was sort of a, a, a reticence to fight back, but it does feel like this new house, they're going to fight back. I think that, do you feel like maybe that the, the there's going to be a mistake being made? The house GOP is going to go over their skis a bit and fall on their face by this, this aggressive tactic. Cause, cause it's what little I watch of the Twitter hearing today, they came prepared. Uh, AOC came prepared, you know, uh, others came prepared to fight Daniel's, um, Daniels, I believe, you know, they came in prepared. I mean, is there a chance that we're going to see them fall on their faces because they forgot that the Dems are going to fight back? So I, I think there's a chance of it. I mean, I think Pelosi was in a different situation because they had the majority, obviously, right. Biden was president, so especially the last first two, last few years. So they, you know, she had all kinds of obligations to get stuff through. She couldn't kind of afford to be uh, doing the performative stuff. And, and the Republicans just did that in opposition. I do think the fact that uh, the Democrats are the minority in the House gives them a chance to yeah. uh, fight back, as you put it, and, right. and not they actually, you know, get legislation, too much legislation passed beyond the death ceiling and a couple other things through, through Kevin McCarthy. They do have to fight back, though. I mean, I, I think this is your key point. I mean, about it's not, the enemy has a vote, and also the enemy wins if even if the enemy is incompetent and kind of klutzy and doesn't use its. I defer to you on all this multi stuff, but doesn't use its weapons well and has yep. poor tactics and so forth. If the other guys are just sitting there saying, "Boy, look how bad those tactics are," you know, the enemy can still win, right? right. I mean, you got to actually fight. And I'm a little worried that. Uh, Democrats in Washington that I've spoken to are so confident that these guys are all clowns mm. that they forget that as was Charlie Sykes formulation, they're clowns with flamethrowers. Yeah. They can do a lot of damage, even if they're clownish. Right. Yep. And I, it, the Democrats have to be organized and ready to really defend themselves on the one hand, defend Biden and also call out the other guys. And uh, there are a few doing it. I think on Santos, a couple of members of Congress have made that their little project, yeah. but I think they should keep that up. I mean, people need to really hammer home. Why is this guy in the house? What is Kevin McCarthy doing? Is he right. just doing nothing? Right. Is he slow walking it through the ethics committee? Well, where is it? How can we, is there nothing more that can be done by the majority here? I mean, I just feel like there are a lot of issues like that where they really can keep the pressure on. It would be, and if it's important to do so. Well, the, the right figured out, you know, there's such a, from, I look back when you started the weekly standard, for example, there was only a few, a, a Tim Miller's book is terrific on this. I, I was, I was fortunate to host Tim in a book chat here in St. Louis when he came through and I, I really, no, I didn't know that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrific. We, Did he shock everyone in St. Louis? Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, they he, loved him. He's got his, some his, huge, his usual, well, you know, he's from here. Choice of language. He's, he's, from very, here. he's very delicate. Hmm? No, he's from here, dude. He's from St. Louis. He's one of us. One of us. 
Yes, <laughs> you know, and and he does a great job of laying out how the the media ecosphere since you started Weekly Standard and others, it was a smaller ecosphere then. Now you've got this giant media ecosphere echo chamber for them um, that in many ways they just have to talk to that, right? I, I say this a lot with like uh, I think with Glenn Youngkin, for example, in Virginia. You know, Glenn was very good at saying one thing to the mainstream media and then saying a completely freaking different thing on Steve Bannon's podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And he and, and one of the reasons he won, I think, is he energized those people with the CRT. He didn't say the CRT bullshit as much on the on the larger channels, but where the, the he knew his audience was receiving their information, he energized them and they came out. And I think the Democrats in many ways have, have failed. Now the, the Republicans' whole thing is they come in, they say their piece, they leave, you know, they, they got their clip for Fox, they go on Fox. I'm encouraged and I'm hopeful that our colleagues in the Democratic Party will do the things on their own side, right? That we need to energize our base. There, there is a, this, this constant seeking out independents and Republicans is fine, but in the end, only 50% of Democrats showed up to vote, right? I mean, we, there's, there's, a, there's a, a hunger, and I see this a lot in my current work that I'm doing, which I think I told you a little bit about, is, is, is there's a hunger in the Democratic base to fight right, too. They're, they're tired of taking it in the chin. They're tired of seeing this. And it's not inconsistent with appealing to moderates and independents and right. you know, people who've been Republicans in the past. I mean, you can be tough and, and make the case for democracy and be indignant at the Republicans' lies and Trump's lies and the big lie. Uh, without embracing every left wing woke, you know, uh, sure. uh, policy or or formulation. So I, I think you can both be a fighter and be sort of uh, an appeal broadly. And the Democrats, Biden did that pretty well last night. Pretty yeah. good model. Maybe they should think more about that. Combine that kind of rhetoric of unity and some genuine you know, efforts to sort of say, look, on something like that ceiling, that's too important to mess around with. And, and you guys, Republicans, you passed it uh, when Trump was president. We need to pass it here uh, to raise it when when, I, when there's a Democratic president. Same with foreign policy. Yep. Uh, but then on other things to really stick it to the Republicans and call them out on their hypocrisy. Well, where are you guys on a title? You say you want to balance the budget. You want to hold the debt ceiling hostage with the biggest items of the budget or the entitlements you want to cut social security or medicare fine make a case for it but no 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 we don't want to do it well okay well then that's off the table so what are we really talking about and i think i think biden showed a little bit of a way to be both uh pretty effective in a partisan way but also reach out to moderates and to independents last night yeah and i see in the committee right i see placing these folks in the committees placing the 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 fighters on the committees and then hold them accountable. If, if Jim Jordan wants to investigate Hunter, Hunter Biden, great. Then we get to investigate. We get to bring up Jared and Ivanka. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, the, the, the corruption, if, you're, if we're going to talk about corruption and use of power association with the presidency, great. Let's talk about that because we had four years of it. And, you know, there's a reason Jared got $2 billion from the Saudis. I'm eager to see that. And I did see that. I was encouraged today seeing um, that prosecuted well. Uh, uh, Ms. Cortez, AOC, did a great job of prosecuting the case that the one time that Trump, that the White House literally called Twitter and wanted a tweet removed was when Christy Teigen called Trump a pussy ass bitch. Okay. And that was, that was read in the, that was actually read in the federal record today, that tweet, you know, and, and that is the White House called Twitter and saying, Hey, you need to get that tweet really, you know, a, a celebrity's tweet removed because it was mean. Um, I think they did a very good job of coming prepared to to prosecute the case against the, the previous administration as well, if we're going to play this little game. So again, that's where the enemy getting a vote. So I'm, I'm, 
I, I joke a lot on this show that every now and then I'm cautiously optimistic. It's a weird feeling sometimes after the last six years, right, to be as somewhat optimistic. But I do believe there's fighting them. Uh, and and, yeah. and the one thing you don't get, I, don't get carried away with it. That's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you're just a cynical. I just you think you're just cynical. Too too many years in this business. That's what I think. That's you are. true. That's uh, true. <laughs> I don't want to keep you long. You got. I know you got a lot going on. You know where can where, I, I, people can find you everywhere, Bill? I, don't, I usually ask that question, but it's you know I think uh, you're still on. You're very active on Twitter. I, I love that. Well, thanks for yeah. for you know mentioning the bulwark the bulwark i'm very proud of what jonathan last and all the others have done at the bulwark i've been really honestly a small player i've, I've, I've helped out but um it's really i, I feel like this awful, awful good stuff there every morning and then the newsletters and the podcasts and so forth and then uh, yeah on twitter at bill crystal i try to promote good stuff and i'll certainly uh, promote this podcast and uh even if it's not that good but uh, you're good so that's okay and um so yeah no no i i uh, i guess those are the main places you can find me i mean sarah longwell and i and she really does the bulk of the work yep. at defending democracy together. Yes, uh, that's. I think. I think we, you know, made a difference in 2022, uh, beating some of the worst election deniers. And one forgets how close some of those races were. A couple yeah. of sectors, state races, uh, the governor's race in Arizona, obviously with Carrie Lake. And again, liberals were all trolling, and I was happy she lost. Believe me, you know, oh Carrie Lake, what a, you know, she lost. What is pathetic. Um, she lost by 17,000 votes by less than one percent. You know, the fact that a someone as Far out there. And vile, just vile. Came close to winning in a swing state. We're not talking about, you know, Arkansas, Oklahoma or something. I mean, that's worrisome. And again, for me, that's why 2022 was a good year. It was, we dodged a bullet, that's what I think of it. But uh, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of problems out there. We need to, you know, a lot of, a lot of work to do to build a real sane governing majority, at least in one party, and then reach out to some other people in the other party. And hopefully then the other party changes eventually. Oh, I love it. And, and you guys are still doing good work. I mean, I, I'm sure you got big plans for this next cycle as we look at it. You know, one thing I do talk about a lot is that we're, we're going to have to change the change the focus. Uh, you know, as you know, I think in my work I mentioned to you, we're, we're doing some interesting stuff that I'll hopefully be announced here in the next couple of weeks about trying to change. It feels like we may be locked into a battle of 51 versus 49 and changing that. Whoever gets the 51, who gets the 49 a few times, if we don't expand, you know, expand the base, expand right. the fight, right? It's, that's what I love about what I'm wearing here. You guys did expand the fight as well. You the one thing that I enjoyed about your work that you're doing on that side is you've, you've always stayed focused on what the goal is. It's not necessarily the most winnable race. The It, it is these vile people like Marjorie Terra Greens and others that have to be pushed back against. And uh, that's certainly my, my obsession is like, we can't, it may not be a winnable race at 30 points, but if we don't fight the fight and then what's the point. So uh, I respect your work, sir. I really do appreciate you. Well, I will. Uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying and, uh, and thank you. And it's really been great to seeing you remotely here on, on, on the screen <laughs> and uh, hope to see you again soon here in Washington or maybe in St. Louis or yeah. I like St. Louis. One of our daughters went to Wash U there. And so we visited, ah. we visited many times, you know, took her out to dinner there and whatever. What's that area near Wash U called? There's some. Uh, Central West End or. Uh, yeah, the West Loop? End, but also yeah. up there, there's some cute street. I can't remember they call it. Anyway, whatever. Loop, yeah. the U City, the Loop perhaps or Del Mar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the was whole a, area. I, I liked I like Washu and I liked uh, St. Louis. Went to a couple of Cardinals games. Went to, I think we went. To, I think her first year maybe was the year they won the World Series with Pujols and there you go. Three or four or there something you go. like that. So yeah, it. it was fun. It's a great town. You know, I tell people. It's, people ask me a lot why I moved back to my hometown. Obviously, there was a, a pretty lady involved, but. What's wonderful about St. Louis I love, and you've seen it too, is you know, and you live in D.C., you know, understand it's, there's lots of good stuff to do, but um, here in St. Louis, it's accessible. Like, you know, right. like if I want Cardinals tickets, I can get Cardinals tickets generally. If I want to go to the a symphony tomorrow night, I could probably get tickets to it. You know, it's it's big enough to have the things that are awesome and small enough that you can actually get into them still, which I love about yeah, it. Yeah, that is so, nice. That uh, is it's, nice. it's been a joy to be back here in the town, and, and I appreciate you for, for saying that. So I will see you in D.C., sir. Thanks for joining me today. I can't Great. thank you enough, Bill. Good luck. Keep up the fight.
Thanks, Fred. Be well. All right. See you soon. Man, and they're a great show with uh, my friend Bill Crystal. I, I, I can't believe I get to know these people. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, the, the last few years of my life, uh, you know, my girlfriend, Heather, likes to say a lot. She goes, man, your life is weird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, for those of us, you know, for those of you, I, and thank you for listening to the show and, and watching the show. It, uh, I'm as amazed as you are sometimes at the people I get to talk to. And, uh, and there, there are days I'll, I'll sit around my house and go, man, I just can't believe I've had the opportunity to meet and, 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 and bash heads with folks like this and people I've followed for almost my entire adult life, like Bill Crystal. So thank you for joining the show for these reasons. Uh, I, as I always want to remind you that, uh, you can find me at, at FP Wellman on Twitter. I'm still there, still causing trouble. Um, I am on Instagram. I'd love you to follow me there. FP Wellman official is my public one. I'm even on that post.news and I, somebody talked me into joining spoutable FP Wellman, all those places here. Of course, the show is available on the on democracy pod on YouTube. And then, uh, we have our own Twitter handle, on. Um, on the on democracy uh, podcast there. So please follow, follow us there. Really would appreciate actually subscribing. If you're getting this, uh, if you're seeing a clip of us, I'd love you to subscribe and share as always. We're sponsored here at the, we're here in the half coast studios, which is our sponsor with v- Vi media. Vi media is your marketing partner for your digital market partner, everything you possibly need. They are a growing company. They just won another award the other day because they're doing so well. They are uh, based right here in St. Louis, but they have a national footprint. They're your partner that generates proven growth in a variety of different industries. And they've been good friends to us nationwide too. So they can serve all your digital marketing needs. As I said, please give them a call. You'll find them on the internet at vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media. And with all that, thank you. What a great show. Next week will be another good one. I I thank you enough for for joining us and share, like, subscribe. So Matt won't punch me. Okay, he doesn't punch me. He's a a nice guy. (laughs) With that, have a great day. We'll see you next week.